today we have a lot of awesome stories for you guys. Yes, we have stories from yeah. from the Congo, from Cameroon, from Guinea-Bissau, Zimbabwe. Yep, you know uh, we have to travel the continent, find out what's going on, find out the statistics for you guys. We have everything from what you do when your flight leaves four hours early to what's going on between the UN and many of the African countries. Yes, we also cover some sad details about floods affecting other countries in on Africa. Just another proof that global warming is real, y'all. To pot save Africa. Welcome 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 to Pod Save Africa. Welcome to Pod Save Africa. Welcome to Pod Save Africa. Welcome. Hello, welcome back to Pod Save Africa. It's your host, Akande Adirli, and I happen to be here with my co-host. Consola Adirli. Hello, guys. Awesome. So, like we said earlier, we're going to get you into a full day of stories. Uh, Keep you posted outside of the uh, bubble of news that... uh, immerses us and takes us away from what's going on on the continent we're here to provide you with that and if you are on the continent we're helping you show you what else is going on all around you let's start with story number one Michael, take us away yes so story number one comes from um, excuse me sorry about my voice from the from congo a notorious ex-congolese warlord bosco natanga aka the terminator the 30-year ICC jail term. So for those of you who don't know, the ICC is the International Criminal Court. Um, former Congolese rebel leader and military chief of staff of the National Congress for the Defense of the People, CNDP, whose past activities earned him the nickname The Terminator, has been sentenced to 30 years in prison for war crimes and crimes against humanity. Um, he was charged on 18 counts, including crimes brought against him like such as murder, sexual slavery, and recruitment of child soldiers. Um, the ICC um, International Criminal Court handed out this penalty on Thursday, November 7th, and is the longest that it's ever handed out to anyone. These charges are related to operations that the Rwandan-born military leader directed in the Congolese region of Ituri in 2002 and 2003. He has already moved to file an appeal as his lawyers state that the decision by the court contains Many errors of law and facts, and that's in double quote, y'all. Natanganda had been wanted by the ICC since 2006 and surprised the world by turning himself into the international court after openly filed in about in 2013. Apparently, he was even going out and playing tennis out in the open while he was wanted for arrest. So, yes, y'all, that's our first story of the day. And that's uh, that's usually uh that's usually kind of a weird way that's kind of kind of usually a weird thing that happens is that um some folks some fairly evil folks who have done incredibly bad things are wanted by international courts and international uh, bodies but they live in a country that they feel like they're safe from um everything and they, they need you know of course there has to be cooperation between local forces to help them get detained um so that scene of him going out to play tennis perhaps is not as unusual as it sounds despite 
him being a, a war criminal and, a, and a, someone who recruited child soldiers. Um, Just for you guys to understand the magnitude of who this person is, think of Idris Elba and Beast of No Nation. So mm -hmm. this is that Beast of No Nation's guy in, in real life. Um, yeah, Idris Elba. Yeah, and I couldn't even watch that movie. It was too gruesome for me. So to think that there's someone real life who, who did those things. And um, there are many speculations as to why he turned himself in. Like he could have just gone on living his life. He wasn't even hiding, you know, like he wasn't running away. He was just being himself. Um, many speculations to why he turned himself in. Some believe that maybe some people were after him to kill him but i don't know someone so powerful like that i don't know that he would run away um because people were trying to kill him um and just provide some more information the um the he was involved in a war that happened in the region of ituri ituri is a region in congo that is very prosperous it's home to 18 ethnic groups and Essentially, what happened in the time of 2002 and 2003 is that these different ethnic groups contained different armed groups um, who were fighting to gain control um, of that land and to show and to to essentially make themselves known of from the whole country that they're powerful, very powerful group. The Ituri region of Congo is also home to a lot of um, natural resources such as gold. Um, so it's it, it's one of those places where it, wherever the natural resources, unfortunately in Africa, you always see some sort of division and fight over who owns what and who gains control over what. Um, so he was part of um, one of the groups that existed during that time um, then that was most powerful and he committed many serious crimes. Um, and so the 18 counts, um, probably even should probably even be more and 30 years in prison is the longest that's ever been encountered prior to that someone else um similar in similar regard to him was charged with i believe 18 years in prison so after that 18 years it was 30 years is the longest that's ever been handed out wow wow and uh yeah just kind of seem to trying to see how the story develops um unfortunately there are many of folks like this um part one reason why uh, children are so susceptible to being recruited as soldiers is one, they can't defend themselves oftentimes in situations where they've been orphaned by the conflict um, or their parents are <clears throat> missing in one way or another and, and children tend to be uh, far more likely to obey orders without questioning. So it's, it's really kind of dehumanizing them from the, the, from the front. And I remember one scene at the end of uh, Beast of No Nations and it's up at the point when the, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the central character, a kid had um, been you know, rescued, the war has stopped, um, and he's at the orphanage, they're basically kind of have, giving him uh, mental health counseling. And he just says, you know, death is kind of all he's known his whole life, that he's now, like he knows, he, he's self-conscious enough to be aware that he's damaged now for life. Like he can't be a normal person now because he spends the, a, a huge part of his childhood killing and seeing his friends being killed over and over again um and, and it just gives you a sense of the gravity of the crime somebody like these like this like bosco Tanga uh committed um yeah so so moving on from uh that <laughs> moving on bless you is it okay to say bless you when people cough because i'm never sure i i usually just ignore 
You just look wow. <laughs> I mean, because there's no thing. Look. Right? <laughs> sorry. <laughs> You're like, ah, yeah. Oh, man, that sounds bad. You should, oof, man. Good luck with that. I hope you survive. Uh, <laughs> that's funny. That's funny. Anyways, um, on to the next story. We're taking you back to Cameroon, and we actually reported on parts of the story much earlier in the year. But there has been some developments. The United States has removed Cameroon from the, a trade pact over human rights abuses. On October 30th, the U.S. president said that he would end trade benefits for Cameroon because of persistent human rights violations. This came, decision, decision comes as U.S. officials accuse Cameroon under the rule of President Paul Bia of unlawful detentions and extrajudicial clearings amid conflicts such as the rise of Boko Haram in the far north region, and the rise of Anglophone secessionists in Cameroon's west. Um, we spoke very clearly. I've spoken about Boko Haram a hundred times on this podcast, and we've also spoken about the Anglophone uh, secessionist movement in, in Cameroon. Um, these, I think they wanted to, to cause, create a new nation called Amazonia, if I remember correctly. Um, these conflicts have been reported to have displaced over a half a million people in the past two years. Only sub-Saharan uh, African countries are eligible for the type of aid called the AGOA, uh, provided they meet certain uh, requirements, including not engaging in gross violations of internationally recognized human rights uh, violations. Um, the punitive measure uh, of this decision takes effect at the beginning of next year. The AGOA stands for the African Gro- Growth and Opportunity Act. Uh, and it includes allow to allow virtually all marketable goods produced in AGOA eligible countries to enter the U.S. market duty free. So it's a trade agreement that allows you know anything countries like Cameroon would produce and sell enter the enter the country of the, enter the U.S. duty free, making them cheaper, making them more competitive. Um, the U.S. reviews this annually to see who has met and has not met these requirements. My co-host, some thoughts. Um, so I think Cameroon is in a bit of an unfortunate situation that they can't control. As many of you know, Boko Haram has been an extremist group that has existed in the northern region of Nigeria for some time. And unfortunately, or I guess not unfortunately, but Cameroon and Nigeria share a border. So the effects of Boko Haram have kind of spilled over into Cameroon's, um, country as well and has affected the lives of Cameroonians. Um, and then we also have the Anglophone Secessionist Movement that we've covered in detail on this podcast, um, often sharing the perspective that it's not that big of a deal as the world makes it out to be, or maybe it is, I don't know. Um, but it's uh, sad to see that this will affect the ability to, to trade successfully within the U.S. Um, they will still potentially be able to trade, but at a higher cost and at a higher price. And this would grossly affect the people that live in Cameroon, probably raise the cost of their um, their livelihood, all the resources that they need. Um, so just to understand the impact of what that means when the U.S. removes Cameroon from the trade pact. All right. Okay. How about you take us to the next story? Yes. So the next story is coming from Guinea-Bissau. The newly appointed PM in Guinea-Bissau resigns under pressure from ECOWAS. 
due to pressure from the regional organization ECOWAS, which stands for Economic Community of West African States, Faustino fought in Balad, the newly elected PM of Guinea-Bissau, turned in his resignation letter after only being in office for 11 days. Um, Bala had previously been nominated to know by current president Jorge Mario Vaz and had been threatened with sanctions if he didn't resign. Faustino Imbala's resignation followed an urgent summit of the heads of state of ECOWAS that took place last Friday in Niger. In Niger Republic, ECOWAS believes that the president Vaz named Imbala as prime minister illegally. Uh, prior to this, president's Prior to naming this new PM, President Vaz had ousted the preceding PM, Aristides Gomez, only two weeks earlier, but Gomez had refused to step down. So essentially, because of the because the preceding PM had refused to step down, they decided that it was not possible to have two PMs. Um, at the same time, also President Vaz has been uh, has allegedly um, done a lot of really bad things. Um, so they did not agree with his decision to ask the preceding PM. Um, so um, I believe that what would happen in this case is that um, now that this PM has stepped, the newly elected PM has stepped down, the, the preceding PM will continue to act as PM. Um, uh, but we'll find out more as that story continues to, to unfold. Um, the current president, Vaz, is set to are run again as president in the upcoming elections um, that I believe take place this take place either this November or next year. Yeah. So um, I think the story shows two things. One, I'm guessing additional detail into the story. Uh, the president fired he, he just fired the entire his entire cabinet. Um, and essentially, how that works is that there's a president and there's also a PM. The president selects the PM. Um, or, is influ or influences that decision in some way, and then that PM also then has his cabinet of of, uh, of prime minister. So the way to think of a PM is almost like a VP, but mm -hmm. a VP that comes with his own cabinet. So the president is kind of an overseer type of dude, and then the PM. Did I just say dude? Anyway, dude. And the 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 prime minister has his own other minister. So the prime minister, in the truest sense of the word, is just the like leading minister, really. Um, so he he sacked his entire Cabin said, all of you go home. I'm, I'm, I'm sick of you. I don't want to see your faces. Um, and everybody else was like, all right, okay, cool, cool, cool. Man, this, this is terrible. I'm not going to film my kids, whatever, whatever. And the prime minister, uh, Mr. Gomez, was like, nah. And then, like that, he just said no. Um, and part of the reason that he said no is because, you know, President Vasto has a very, very controversial history within the country. Um, and he and a lot of people viewed the sacking of the entire cabinet, especially given that they have an election coming up on November 26th, I believe. November 24th, actually. Um, is that it was a move to kind of depower his opponents, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, this is a president that only won in a runoff, in a close runoff in 2014. Um, so it's not like he has a phenomenal amount of power or, or, or the people's mandates behind him. So um, the ECOWAS and, and the other side of this is how important uh, community blocks of countries like the ECOWAS is. And this is the economic community of uh, West African states. <clears throat> And, and that's, that community essentially has said, hey, you know, here's what's going on within your country. We're going to put pressure on you to help, you know, 
order things so that they don't become violent and make things go the right way. And they've done it in many, 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 many occasions in the Liberian War. Um, so this is just, an, just a, a testament to that organization and why things like that are important. Because rather than having one country kind of do whatever it wants, other countries can come together and say, hey, hey, bro, chill, relax. They're saying, they're saying right, um, do things the right way. So um, that's, that's good-ish news. Um, we don't, it's, it's hard to kind of know the, the way this kind of goes, but we'll certainly keep you posted on November 24th when the next set of elections happen. Right. Um, just another perk to put on another perk of the ECOWAS. So if countries that belong on the ECOWAS essentially have that ECOWAS passport that enables them to travel freely within their, within their different countries. So Nigeria is part of the ECOWAS. Yes. Uh, Your green passports. Our green passport, right. So we can enter Ghana and all the ECOWAS. Uh, uh, Guinea-Bissau. I'm sorry? I said go and visit Guinea-Bissau, friends. Guinea-Bissau, yeah. Um, Pretty easily, and uh, this might not seem like a big deal, but it's, every time can come sometimes, can it be stuff? Right, this might not seem like a big deal, but there are actually many African countries that um, other African countries cannot visit. Um, like for South instance, Africa, by looking at you, exactly. So, <laughs> to go to South Africa, you need to apply for a visa, you can get a visa upon arrival. Um, as a Nigerian, um, and that applies to other African countries as well. So having the ECOWAS group and having a, a, a group of nations like this that can make enforcements um, and rules like this makes life a little easier. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. All right. Thank you for sharing. Let me check us the next story. So you guys are familiar with strikes, right? You know, you're part of an entity, you're, you're part of a teacher's union, you teach, you're a doctor, you're an airline pilot, you are whatever the case may be. And you guys, you know, you guys are talking to each other like, oh, you know, how much do you make, buddy? I make, I make five bucks. The other guy's like, I make five bucks. Like, can you survive on that five bucks? Now, really, I, can, I can't even buy a meal for my family with that five bucks. So you're like, all right, guys, let's go, let's go on a strike. Let's demand better pay. Let's ask the government for better pay. Right. And in Zimbabwe, last Friday, more than 200 public sector doctors were fired after being found guilty of abstaining themselves from duty without leave or reasonable cause for five or more days, according to a statement from their health services board. These doctors had been on strike from state hospitals since September, and they were dismissed after disciplinary hearings were held in their absence with only two doctors being able to attend. The purpose of the strike was a demand for better pay. The strike has paralyzed all the major hospitals in Zimbabwe, and it's mostly only emergency cases which are being attended to. The government claims to have doubled doctor salaries just a month before, but the doctor say it's still inadequate as it would only increase the salaries of about 2,000 Zimbabwean dollars, uh, and that, that's that amount is $130, and it is not enough to sustain them. Um, as you can imagine, uh, $130 uh, per month. Whew, that's that's going to be tough to, to raise a family, et cetera, et cetera, especially because these are highly skilled individuals. They're public sector doctors. They're extremely critical to the health and development of any society. And um, they went on strike, you know, demanding better pay. Now, strikes are kind of a touchy subject, right? Sometimes they're very critical. Generally, I, I stand on the side that the government should find a way to negotiate, you know, find out what's reasonable. Can these doctors afford lives that, are, that are save money, et cetera, based on the amount? Pay them for the value they produce, not for, you know, what you think they should be making, right? Um, and these 200 doctors were like, all right, you know, let's take a little quick strike. Let's show them that we're needed. And 
the government, the government just like, all right, yep, bye, bye. And here, here they are now, all fired. And it's kind of weird because the strike has paralyzed major hospitals. That's, that's what I just said. And to resolve that, you then fire all the people that can work in those hospitals. I'm just, I'm struggling a little bit. Um, I think it's more of a cut the head off to spite the nose type of thing. Uh, but that's where things are at this moment. Anyka, thoughts? Yeah, so I, I'm, I'm with you on that. I don't quite understand the decision to fire the doctors. Yes, um, the strike, it's not nice that the doctors are in strike and um, paralyzed in the major hospitals. Um, but also, they, they have a right to, to, to go on strike, right? You know, they're, not, they're being paid unfairly. Not even, we're not even sure if that, that 2000 Zimbabwean dollars is per month or even a year. But in either case, it's still an unfair wage for, uh, for the doctors and for the services that they provide. In most other well-to-do countries, such as the U.S. here, doctors are held in high regard. You know, once they go through all of the examinations and tests and schooling that they have to do, they, they, they're the big ballers and the short colors um, because we appreciate the amount of service that they're able to provide to people on a daily basis. Um, so I think the number of public sector doctors was closer to 211. So about right. 211 doctors are no longer working. And I don't right. see how that would be good in any, in any form to have those doctors no longer to be able to, right. to work. Um, and we, we didn't account for what we didn't account for this story is um, during the strike, if that meant less hours or no hours at all, but it seems to be a negative minus negative cancellation, yeah. which is leading to nothing. Um, I do understand the government is not able to increase their salaries any any further at this time because they're still trying to manage their economic situation. Um, struggling. Yeah, it's 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 been a struggle. As you know, Zimbabwe just came out of a, the long regime of President Mugabe, not so not so long ago, and is now being ruled by President Mangagwa. Um, and so he he's still trying to get a hold of um, the economic situations. Um, people are, don't have a positive outlook, however, because um, Mangagwa served under Mugabe as his second in command. So it's almost like a passive button type thing. Um, we've been two people on the same relay team. So is it a passive button to a different team? Um, so. We'll just have to wait to see how that story unfolds, unfortunately, but it's a sad story to hear from Zimbabwe. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, how about I take the next one as well, and then you take the number six, our sixth story, and then I take the final one. Go for it. Okay, so um, the West African CFA Frank nations plan to withdraw their CFA reserves from France. So the Benin president, Patrice Talon, has announced that some of the foreign reserves of the West African CFA franc, not to be confused with the Central African CFA franc, two different currencies, are to be withdrawn from France with the hopes to gain more control over the management of their currency. It is said that the eight member nations of the West African CFA franc, made up of Senegal, Côte d'Ivoire, Benin, Mali, Burkina Faso, Niger, Togo, and Guinea-Bissau unanimously made this decision to end this decades-old model that began in 1945, back when they were still colonized on the low 
<laughs> bracket, bracket, and involves a for, their foreign exchange accumulation being kept at the French treasury and its convertibility being determined by the French. Mm, look at that. What does that sound like? Can I get a colonialism, 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 colonists, colonists. So just, and some experts have stressed that this model kept these West African economies largely dependent on the European monetary pause and have even labeled it what? Neocolonialism. That word shows up again, guys. Uh, these reserves will not be managed by the Central Bank of African countries of WAMU, W A M U, West African Monetary Union, who will also be responsible for distributing the funds to various central bank partners, including Japan, Europe, China, North America. So basically, guys, basically, countries that were, you know, under uh, the colonial rule of France in West Africa, almost all of them pretty much had their money, their, their reserves of money being kept by the French, right? And of course, what happens when you keep your money in a bank? Get <coughs> charge bank freeze. Also, the bank gets to use your money to invest, to make returns, and things of that nature. So the French government for a long time has been taking advantage of these eight countries, amongst many others. Remember, there's the Central African uh, uh, French countries as well, uh, a Francophone countries as well, that are still under this uh, abusive regime, in my opinion. Um, and and it is, I'm happy to see it, see it get done. You know, I'm happy to see the control of these countries' resources in their own hands, um, hopefully they can use creative models to make sure they're creating more resources and leveraging their resources to do better things better for their country. Um, because these, these, you know, the French government was also determined the conversion rate, right? So if they wanted some of their money back, uh, perhaps in, in, uh, what is the French currency? Francs? Is it French? Hmm. I think it's Francs. French currency. Google time. This thing, ugh, it pulled up fresh currency. Currency, French currency. Euro, I think. I think it's a euro. It's francs. It's francs. Yeah, CFP francs. Yeah. So I figured it was francs. Uh, and oh, oh no, it's not francs. My bad. It's euro because they're in the European Union. <sighs> yeah, that's that's some Africa knowledge for you guys. <laughs> oh yes, the euro, the euro. But the French got to determine what the conversion model was, so it didn't depend on how their economies were doing, how valuable their money was, how much demand there was for it. It didn't matter. Hopefully, now these countries can maintain and manage their money in the right way. It seems like they're still managing it as a block, so all their money is still being pulled into um, the West African Monetary Union, and that, that institution is supposed to be managed those reserves. Um, hopefully, those can be leveraged to bring greater prosperity to these countries. Um, I'm happy to say this news, generally, because I don't think you know, it would be like if Niger all of Nigeria's foreign reserves were being managed by England, um, that would kind of be absurd. Um, despite the fact that some would argue we're not managing us very well. Um, but I still believe that it should be in the hands of those who own those reserves to manage them and make decisions um, for them. It's still colonialism if the other people don't have uh, uh, their resources. All right, Icon, some thoughts? Um, I agree with you. Um, uh, I think it's best if the people that manage their the currency are the people that use the currency. So yeah. I'm glad to see this decision and move in towards their favor. I, I hope that the 
that they manage their currency well and i hope that this does not cause any friction whatsoever between the eight member nations of the west african cfa frank um, but we'll continue to monitor the story and report on it as the news unfolds um, the next story we have here comes out of somalia um, this is another case of global warming um, and we reported on a similar story two weeks ago um, in our last update at least 200,000 children are among more than half a million people affected by the flooding in Somalia. The United Nations agencies said, calling for decisive actions to help those at risk of malnutrition and disease outbreak. In a statement on Tuesday, UNICEF said thousands of families are living in mixed camps or in open areas uh, and are in dire need of clean water, sanitation, safe shelter, health, and food supplies. The UN humanitarian agency said on Wednesday that heavy rains have affected 547,000 people in Somalia and displaced them um, 370,000 people. East Africa has been experiencing torrential rains, which have been exacerbated by a weather phenomenon known as the, known as the Indian Ocean Dipole. Mm -hmm. um, this is the Indian Ocean equivalent of the Pacific Ocean-based El Nino. It is currently at its strongest since 2006, according to the regional trade block of eight African nations known as the Intergovernmental Authority on Deep Development. Um, so in this story, we see similar um, to the story that we covered in South Sudan, um, where heavy floods are affecting the people of those nations. And this is simply just a result of global warming. So if anyone needed proof that global warming is really what this is it. Um, last, the last, in the last news update, we covered that the heavy floods affected almost 1 million people in South Sudan. And we've seen, seen a similar case here in Somalia where it's a large number of people are affected. Um, and these countries are not, are not the wealthiest of countries. So the displacements um, means that there needs to be um, serious aid granted to the members of those nations. Um, the heavy rains are still continuing, um, even still to today, and will continue to displace more people if action is not taken. So I encourage you all um, to, in your spare time, to look out and see if there are any ways that you can help people of these nations. Right. I think the primary, uh, primary organization on ground right now is the United Nations. So certainly go to their website and see how you can support them. They have links uh, and we, we will attach them to this episode in, in ways you can support them. Um, or ways that you personally can look around folks that you know, the Peace Corps, things of that nature, nature that work um, in the area. Um, at many moments, you'll be keeping your eyes out, prayers up and, and thoughts um, for the people that are displaced. Um, uh, the African continent continues to amass a growing number of internally displaced individuals. Um, and it's a crisis, right? You're displaced within your home, your, your homes are lost, et cetera, et cetera. Um, a lot of the stuff that we see as big news in many other countries, many other more developed countries, as disasters um, happen on the African continent in magnified scale every day. So um, it is irresponsible for us to not be paying attention and supporting in ways that we support other countries as well. All right, guys, um, as you can hear, me and I are both sniffling a little bit. And so we're going to take you to the final story of the day, the final, le finale. Um, and I'd like, to, I'd like to put you in a mindset, right? I'd like to say, imagine yourself, close your, imagine yourself, listener, fellow listener, 
imagine yourself, um, you know, you're, 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 you're in, uh, you're in Johannesburg, really beautiful town. You just came from, uh, from, from uh, having lunch with your friends and, you know, you're heading out to Harare. You're taking a tour um, of Zimbabwe. You're trying to get around, you know, see the continent, expose yourself a little bit more. And you've booked a flight. You booked a flight on Tuesday night. You know, Tuesday flights are cheaper than every other uh, day of the week. That's a positive Africa tip right there. Check it out. But Tuesday night flights are cheaper, you know, so you close, you, so you, you're going to the, to the airliner, you know, your flight, your flight is at, uh, your flight is at 6.55 p.m., you know, so you had time for brunch, you did all you could during the day, and you're going to get to Harare roughly around 8.40, a nice two-hour hop and, hop and stop, you know, that's just, that, that's a hop, your plane doesn't even really hit cruise altitude for a long time before you're coming down, so it's an easy breezy day. You're saying, huh, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm African. You know, I, I know African time. I know how things go. So I'm going to arrive. I'm going to arrive like two hours or two and a half hours before the airport, before the plane's supposed to take off. Right. So let's say you arrive at, let's say about four, let's say four. So that's almost three hours. You're, you give yourself time to get through security. You don't know what back check is going to be like. It might take some time. So you get there, you get there early, right? You get, you get to the airline, you know, you, you're walking in there and um, you look around. Um, you're looking at, you're walking up to a checkout and you said, Hey, uh, I'd like to print a boarding pass, ma'am. And, uh, I'm here for the, uh, Air Zimbabwe flight. Ooh, Air Zimbabwe. Okay. That's an interesting name. It's a great name. Air Zimbabwe flight. Just to be told by the lady sitting across from you, that's your flight that was supposed to leave at 6.55 PM left at 2.31 PM. Your flight, your flight left four hours early Four hours early the flight that took off from or Tambo international airport that day flight um 462 took off at 2 31 p.m instead of 6 55 p.m and landed at harare four hours and 40 minutes before it was supposed to arrive that is confusing but there's context Maybe they sent me a text. Maybe they sent me an email. Maybe they told me, oh, man, the flight, we have to get out of here. There's, there's uh, you know, yeah, there's stuff going on. You know, the pilot has to get home and watch Game of Thrones, so we got, we got to get out of here. So maybe you got an email. So you pop open your phone, you look, psh, nothing, nothing. And reported live from, uh, from one of the former passengers who was asked not to be named by uh, the reporting organization, which in this case is Zim Live. Uh, he said, and I quote, there was no communication from Air Zimbabwe. We turned up and we were told at the check-in counter that our plane left at 2 p.m. It was one of the most shocking things I've ever heard because you assume planes have a schedule and they stick to, to it. I will not say the rest of that quote because there is some insulting of the airline. Um, but moving forward, unfortunately, all of these airlines, all of these passengers, all of the stranded passengers were put on a flight that was flying out later in the evening and were able to make it to their, their destination. Now, there's context. Air Zimbabwe has been struggling. Some folks even report that they're down to one or two left planes and are unable to make their dues. They've changed their They've changed their pricing strategy and they have people pay money in their foreign foreign dollars. And we spoke about Zimbabwe earlier. We spoke about we spoke about how their economy was struggling. And of course, naturally, that affects airlines and other businesses within the country. Um, this is one of the struggles with national carriers, which is what Air Zimbabwe is. It's a national carrier. Looking looking into the camera, it's all of you in Nigeria that was excited about Air Nigeria. 
is that they are very, very, very tied down to the status of the economy. It is difficult for a national airline to succeed if the rest of the economy is not booming. So, or making a lot of progress, basically. So, this is what happened. This is more just lighter news for you. Lighter news for us, on the other hand, hearing about a plane that left four hours early, but not so much for the people who were left in those situations. So, that's why I tried to put you in their mindset. Um, that has been us. That has been it. That has been we. Only Khan, do you have any thoughts on your flight leaving four hours early? What would you do if your flight left at four hours early? I mean, man, I really, I don't enjoy flying. I should say that. <laughs> I don't enjoy being at an airport. I don't enjoy going through security. I don't enjoy being on planes. Like so it. it's mad annoying. You're preparing yourself for this experience that perhaps you enjoy, perhaps you don't enjoy like me. And your flight has left you behind. <laughs> <laughs> Most people complain of, you know, delayed flights. They have to stay in the airport longer than they want to. Right. And you know, that's annoying in itself. But imagine you get up early and if you're an African, at least if oh, you're yeah. Western, you're at the airport <laughs> three hours early. <laughs> you're already in the airport early, but it's still not enough. Like who <laughs> would have thought like uh, you would see one of the things. So I find it very amusing. Um to be honest. Yeah. It'll be amusing to hear this story. Yeah, so this story happened quite a few months ago. We just found something interesting, something lighthearted. And we're going to try and do that every so often, just kind of pull up something that was interesting, funny um, to share with you guys uh, beyond just the uh, darker and more difficult stuff happening on the continent. There's a lot of progress. And our job in a pod, as a podcast is to bring you a balanced view of everything that's happening, not just the bad that is portrayed on the news, but lots of excellent, incredible stuff is happening on the African continent. And that's primarily and almost exclusively driven by African people. So just as we have some folks that make things difficult we have some folks who are making the world a better place so this has been us your boy i candy really and and your girl kosala and this has been positive africa thank you guys for joining us cheerios bye bye